Hello and welcome to PSPA's brand new podcast for people caring for loved ones living with PSP and CBD. My name is Liz Sturgis. I'm one of PSPA's helpline care navigators and I will be chatting with various carers, professionals and PSPA staff members once a month about topics that matter to you. This podcast is brought to you thanks to the kind support of Pavers Foundation in memory of Mary Yule, who passed away in the past year. In our second Carers podcast, we will be talking about caring for a loved one, how your caring role can change, what has gone well and what has been difficult during the pandemic and what support has been available. Julia Tickridge joins me for the podcast today to talk about her experience of caring for her husband, Laurie, during the pandemic. Welcome, Julia, and thank you for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure, Liz. Would you like to tell us a bit about your husband and his PSP diagnosis? Yeah, my lovely husband, Laurie. He's 67. Um, we met 42 years ago. He's a really kind guy, good-looking, generous, intelligent, witty, um, and he had quite a high-powered career um, previously. Um, always loved the outdoors. Um, he'd been involved with uh, Duke of Edinburgh. He'd met Prince Philip twice. He'd done Outward Bound. He was a rugby wow. player, rugby referee until fairly recently. Loved the mountains, enjoyed skiing. Um, you know, he'd always been an adventurous sort of guy. Um, also liked art and music and travel. Yeah, he'd, he'd always been very engaged. And then I suppose about, ooh, actually as early as about 10 years ago, I started to notice a few things perhaps in um, his personality, but didn't really think anything about it. Um, but really 2015 was when I really started to notice the first signs of some cognitive impairment and some clumsiness actually. Yeah. Um, but the thing that was most noticeable, strange, was his handwriting um, got very, very small. He'd always had lovely handwriting, really clear, very distinctive. And now it was suddenly small and spidery. Um, his speech uh, was becoming unintelligible, was very hesitant. He was stumbling, stuttering and slurred. I mean, it wasn't really him at all. I noticed his movements were starting to get uncoordinated. When we'd be walking about, his arms and legs just didn't seem to go together, as it were. Yeah. He was losing balance. Um, he was starting to get overwhelmed generally by life. Um, and just the simple everyday tasks, just the sort of executive function, if you like. Um, I'd noticed he wouldn't be able to follow through on tasks. Um, he'd sort of stop and start, and it just seemed to be a bit directionless, really. Um, and very early on also, I noticed that driving was becoming um, a little bit hairy for me as a passenger because he was getting too close to yeah. the cars in front. So um, I actually intervened quite early because I, I noticed things were not quite right. But he didn't have any obvious memory problems, actually. Right. Um, yeah. I, my mother had had vascular dementia. And I knew a bit more about that. Um, yeah. And he was displaying signs of some kind of dementia-like um, condition, but it didn't seem to be a dementia. Anyway, we went to the GP. Um, in fact, Laurie went to the GP. He was very brave. He took it upon himself to take himself along. Um, and he was referred, having had a memory test in the GP surgery, he was referred to the local memory clinic. We actually had to wait a long time for that appointment, to be honest, about six months, but we did see a psychiatrist. Yes. Um, I actually need to say here that it's so important with the diagnosis. Uh, 
and it's possibly just luck, unfortunately, these days, um, wh who you get referred to. Um, and I do feel that had Laurie been referred initially to a neurologist, we might have got to a diagnosis a bit quicker than we did. Mm. Um, so we came out with a, um, a diagnosis because he was in the very early stages of mild cognitive impairment, which didn't really cut it at all. It just seemed all these symptoms that he had and mild cognitive impairment. Well, I know that is a serious condition, but it just didn't seem to cut it. Anyway, went back to our GP and got referred for a second opinion at the National Hospital for Neurology and uh, Neurosurgery in London. Um, because I'd been thinking, I'd been researching quite a bit and I'd noticed that maybe because of his age, because at that point he was sort of 63, 64, yeah. I thought, could this be something a bit more rare? Could this be an early onset dementia? Could it be something frontotemporal? Um, anyway, we went through the um, investigation and uh, various assessments. Um, he had many scans and a lumbar puncture. So that took about four different visits to the, to the hospital and it was very, very thorough. Um, I'm sure there are very good units across the UK, but I think it is a bit of a luck of the draw and we were just able to go to London. Anyway, they came and I wasn't really expecting this. It kind of threw, threw me off, off course a little bit because yeah. the diagnosis, um, and there is no definitive diagnostic no. test for this condition. It's based on experience of the person who's assessing you. This is, this is all a whole new world, you know, it's not clear cut. And um, they talked about an overlap between PSP and CBD, progressive supranuclear palsy and corticobasal syndrome. And that just completely threw us, you know, what, we'd never heard of anything like this at all. Yeah. What was this? Um, and in the sort of intervening years, this diagnosis, um, this overlap diagnosis, because we were at the beginning stage, is now being referred to as an evolving PSP. So it's not corticobasal syndrome. It, it's firmly in the territory of PSP now. Um, and I suppose the way in which uh, it affects him is mostly to do with speech and language, actually. That's, okay. that's the biggest um, disabling feature of the condition. I don't like to talk about him as being disabled because um, I, I just feel that he's, he's been so active and also I don't want to in any way diminish him and, and his person. But yes. the fact of the matter is it, is, it can be um, an extremely disabling condition. He's also affected, his, his eyesight is affected by double vision. That's a real problem, actually, one of the most serious things, because it can lead you to getting falls as, as well yeah. as not being able to read and properly communicate. Um, and he has problems with movement, but it's more a stiffness of his limbs. Um, I have to be very careful to help him just to, as much as I can, avoid falls. We've had a few. Uh, we've, we've wound up in A&E on a couple of occasions. Um, I think he must have just bruised or just fractured. Or I say just, it was pretty serious at the yeah. time. Um, we've had to just be very, very wary, but obviously we have to get on with our lives. You know, you can't just, you can't just sort of walk, keep walking on eggshells or just no, kind of, of wrap somebody in cotton wool. So um, yeah, that's kind of where we're at. And I suppose in terms of his sort of where he is in his condition, he's probably mild to moderate at the moment, but okay. 
that's that shouldn't be underestimated that kind of terminology because you know this is a this is a very difficult condition mm. and um yeah it's yeah challenging it's still still recognized symptoms even though they're described as mild isn't it so yes yeah quite it. So what, how long was the process from say, 2015 when he went to the GP to finally getting the diagnosis? Well, 2015 when you, he started. When you first saw it, yeah. Yeah. So uh, basically it took about two and a half to three years for things to fully evolve so that a neurologist could, could say um, with the best knowledge that they have that this is PSP. And the actual process of the diagnosis, once we were in the sort of neurology area rather than psychiatry it took about four months four that's months actually relatively quick yeah yes and I think yeah. I'm really grateful to all those involved in my husband's diagnosis because they made it relatively painless in terms of not drawing it out any longer yeah. um, and they did you know they, they, obviously it's an overlap condition at that stage and it's evolving but I'm not under any false uh pretenses or or hope I just accept it as it is you know and yeah. we deal with what we've got basically. Yes. So you describe the symptoms as being disabling rather than Laurie as being disabled. Yes. So how do you find that you how, how has your role changed a bit in caring for him or supporting him yeah. with those symptoms? Yeah I mean at the stage when he was diagnosed, I was kind of coming to the end of a project I was was on. And um, and so everything kind of took over very quickly. And so I've kind of taken on a full time job. Um, I would probably at the moment describe the way I help my husband is if I was employing somebody to help Laurie, yeah. he would need a personal assistant. Right. And I am yeah. that personal assistant. Mm. So um, I've had to get up to speed very, very quickly um because it's complex as as I've mentioned there's various different elements of your life that are affected it can be very challenging it can be at times quite exhausting frustrating but also it can be rewarding because you have to think as much as you can and, and sometimes I manage it and sometimes I don't but it enables me to be a bit creative I like solving problems and believe you me there's a lot to do with this so <laughs> yeah. in terms of um, it kind of suits my personality and I'm very lucky that that is the case and I can mm. help Laurie um, but I'm having to learn to kind of slow things down a little bit to be really patient to be accepting that doesn't mean to say that I'm going to sort of roll over and just, you know, give up because you do have to be quite strong. You have to be you you have to be able to to say what you need. You have to be able to um, be quite assertive because you're going to be asking for various support. And with a rare condition, people just don't understand in the main. People do not know about this condition. So this. So it's in a way, it's, it's an educational role, even as the sort of carer stroke patient. Um, and actually underneath it, occasionally there's this, this it's tinged with a sense of grief and loss. Mm -hmm. um, I'm very fortunate in that I've joined a support group with rare dementia support. Um, and 
they have a Zoom meeting, so that helps me. And the local hospice have actually been, been very supportive in helping me to deal with those feelings. Um, I have to be very um, flexible in all of this because although ideally what everybody needs is this multidisciplinary team that is the gold standard, if you like, for care for somebody with, with yeah. PSP or CBD, um, in practice, it might not always happen. So I'm having with together with Laurie to, to sort of have a pick and mix approach in that we get our main support from London, the sort of neurology support that we need. Um, they kind of control everything if you like and in, yeah. in regards to advice yeah. and guidance. But of course there is no treatment as such and no. there is no cure. Um, we make use of our speech and language therapists service locally and they've been great um what i didn't realize is as well as speech and language they are assessing somebody's um swallow and to make sure it's safe yes. so they're absolutely key in in this aspect of psp we go to um a specialist eye clinic um at, at a regional hospital um and they help with the double vision and they've been fabulous they've nothing is too much trouble um and i think wherever you can if you can in terms of um the support you need the diagnosis and the expertise if you can go to a teaching hospital if it's at all possible to get to one or if the um, consultants and uh, healthcare professionals come out to your area if you can get that kind of support that's really helpful, but it's not everywhere. And it, as we know, okay. it's a bit of a postcode lottery, unfortunately, at the moment. Um, we've also had support from the local sort of aging well service. Um, very nice consultant there, um, I think will be a great support as things progress and we need to access more and more care support. So it's important to really recruit a good team. Um, also a fabulous GP who's been very supportive, enable, enabling us to get these referrals. Physiotherapists are wonderful, enabling people to maintain as much of the movement as possible, to look after balance and falls prevention is absolutely key. Um, so as you can see, it's I've yes. got a full time job. Um, yes. you're, you're effectively you're the coordinator, the key worker, aren't you, to his his care needs, really? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And sometimes I have to kind of just just take a step back and remember that oh, I possibly view my husband as my project or PSC yes. as my project when actually Laurie is still my husband and soulmate and best friend. And it's getting the balance between those two. And I must mm. admit, sometimes the relationship does suffer. Mm. It's um, easy to slip into that professional yeah, mode, isn't yeah. it? And, and did you have any challenges or... A, anything that's went surprisingly well during lockdown did you find well actually yeah I mean I must admit I do talk to other carers yes. a lot of us just say well welcome to our world yeah. this is actually how it is a lot of the time for us anyway um the, the main difference is that we weren't able to perhaps come and go and 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 do the things that we can still do as we please because we were still subject to the same conditions as everybody else of course in our situation, because Laurie, because I'm able to do what I do, um, and because he's still relatively well, I'm relatively is a very, you know, I use mm. that word guardedly, 
um, it is still disabling. But um, it's, it's actually fortunate that we didn't actually rely on care services because of course it would have been very difficult to access them. So we have been, from that point of view, because we didn't require much and we weren't doing a great deal, um, lockdown wasn't such a shock to the system. In fact, it enabled Laurie and me to show how resilient we could be. Um, and we are a very strong team. Um, what, what was positive, Laurie was actually quite overweight and I was very worried with COVID because of obviously people who are overweight mm -hmm. can potentially, if they can contract COVID, have a more difficult time. So we focused on keeping Laurie really fit um, we uh, changed our diet quite dramatically, actually. I wouldn't say I'm advocating a change of diet with PSP, but we have adopted a more whole food plant-based diet. Um, and that really helped with Laurie's weight loss. And as mm -hmm. he lost weight, he was able to move a bit more easily um, and gained a bit more confidence. Um, he used to love cycling. He can't cycle anymore because it's a very, cycling is, is, is really quite, challenging um, yes. activity and he wasn't able to coordinate but we needed to find something and I'm a keen runner so I thought well we have got some safe areas where we can run um, so I said to Laurie well, why don't we try the couch to 5k why don't we just give it a go and Brilliant see idea. if we can if we can do that and maybe if you can we could start taking part in part runs either we can have a bit of a jog or we can walk but we can try, we can, and mm. you know, he's taken to it really well. He was obviously very fit before all this happened. And I do have to watch him like a hawk, but, um, and I'm noticing he is slightly more shuffly movement rather than having quite a long stride because it, your movement is affected. I mean, mm. I'm not pretending here that he's become some great athlete overnight. He hasn't, but it's enabled him to keep fit. And it meant we went out and about a lot. Um, so we made the best of it, really. Mm. Um, and it, it, we really had to dig deep. But that wasn't necessarily a bad thing. But we did miss going out. We did miss going mm. to um, classical music concerts in Liverpool, which we absolutely adore. We go to galleries and museums, cinema. We live close to North Wales. We couldn't even at some stage cross the border because of the mm. restrictions. So that did limit our activities. But we really enjoyed our lo locality. We've got a beautiful river and park area. We are very fortunate here. And Laurie's very knowledgeable about all the flora and fauna. So he was teaching me about yes. all the trees and the bird song. So we helped each other. You know, I learned from him. We were able to go out together and do things. Um, but I'm not pretending it, it wasn't difficult. No. Um, so, but you know, what can you do? You've got that life is there to be led and we, you know, we could put our life on hold or we could try to make the best of it really. Yes, absolutely. It sounds as if you've made the best of it, made the best of a, a difficult time there. Yes. And so as well as running, you mentioned that, uh, do you do anything else to look after yourself particularly? Oh yeah, I mean, yeah. I've, I've had other caring responsibilities in my life and I've learned the hard way that as a carer, you, you, are, you are at least as important as the person you are supporting. You mm -hmm. really do have to be, um, to look after your health because I've seen so many carers who, and it is challenging. Sometimes you just, you, you, you have to prioritize 
the person you're supporting yes. uh, because an emergency situation can arise and it you know even with the best laid plans and you really want to look after yourself it can be very difficult but it is important to carve out a bit of time each day um, I learned mindfulness meditation, which has certainly stood me in very good stead in terms of acceptance and taking a bit of a step back from things. Um, I enjoy running. Um, I've always done yoga and that, that class went on to Zoom, fortunately. But one of the things that I found where my health has been affected and I have sought support, I went straight to my GP um, and I was determined to get to the bottom of it really is that I I'm a chronic insomniac. Um, and I am at last getting some very, very good treatment. Um, good. And I think that will help me because you've got to be at the top of your game yes. and you've got to do it now yeah. because it, you're worth it anyway. And you've got to be there for your loved one, but you don't want to be completely wrecked as things progress. No. And, you know, as time moves on, you still, as a carer, your life is valuable and you've got to live it as well. Mm. I was just going to say, where did you um, access the mindfulness meditation? Did you go in onto an app or did you do a course or well, what you suggest to people thinking about doing it? Yeah, I'll tell you, I did originally start with a local teacher and she was fabulous. Um, but then I moved on to um, the Oxford Mindfulness Centre. Now, if anybody wants to Google that, um, you can. And they offer um, they offer support they offer classes basically or sessions um, on a weekly basis um, that's possibly more for people who've got a little bit more experience but they have all sorts of, of levels of courses and durations of courses so if anybody googles Oxford Oxford Mindfulness Centre I can't recommend them too highly mm. there's something for everybody so and some of it is is completely free and other courses are well, you do pay for them, but I think they're incredible value for money anyway. And you learn a skill that you can take with you into the rest of your life for as long as you want. That's great. I mean, some people might find that really helpful. So thank you for that. And there are also some apps that are available on um, laptops and mobile phones that you can use to, to guide you through mindfulness as well, aren't there? So yes. there's, there's lots of resources out there. Great. Yes, definitely. And so you, you talked about enjoying your local environment by the river and so on. But what are you most looking forward to when the restrictions ease, hopefully on the 21st of June? But who knows? Yeah, yeah. I mean, what we would like to do and what we unfortunately, the, the, I suppose the biggest thing that we weren't able to do, um, but we hopefully when things open up a bit, we were going to do a once in a lifetime trip to Svalbard. Laurie'd got this thing about Svalbard. It's a, a Norwegian island in the right up in the Arctic Circle, and we just wanted to go there and experience, you know, a wilderness, yeah. see the polar bears, but not at too close, yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> close contact, uh, and follow the route of all the Arctic pioneers. Um, and that, unfortunately, with oh, it just it was just timing was everything. It was against uh. us. So eventually. That's what we would really like to do or just to go to Norway because it's a country that over the last few years, it's it's been a place that we've found a great deal of joy and pleasure and uh, just prove that we can still get out and about and do something a little bit adventurous, you know? Yeah, yeah. that sounds amazing. Great plans. Um, 
So one of the other things that we're going to talk about today was um, about, you, you talked about the speech and language therapist coming in and, and not just talking about Laurie's speech, but also about his swallow. Yes. Um, and that end, you also um, have successfully applied for a PSPA voice banking funding and a support grant. Would you like to tell us a little bit about how you found out about that and what the application process was and, and why you wanted to apply for it? Yeah, I think originally it was an email that was sent out and then we went to a PSPA meeting, our local meeting before lockdown, and it was mentioned there. And uh, I thought, gosh, that's, that's incredibly generous gesture from a charity. I'd never known a charity make small grants available and I've been involved mm. with a few. So I thought this is tremendous. Um, and what it, it actually coincided with the fact that we were thinking about voice banking and we we talked to the speech and language therapist about it and she explained the process this was actually before lockdown yeah. and um i found out actually that it's not as far as i'm aware and not in our locality but it's not available on the nhs um if you want to have voice banking you have to sign up to um, an organization that provides the technology and you um you take it takes quite a while to actually yeah. record certain words and phrases and um, depending on how your voice is at that time, there can be a certain, um, almost a repair service, if you like, to, yes, to your voice. Right. Um, but you need to have a microphone to go with it so that you get the best possible recording. Um, but as lockdown approached, um, it seemed like uh, well, we weren't going to, we, we could have been loaned some equipment from the hospital, but I think we were first in line, but unfortunately that all kind of fell through. Um, and we'd actually put, put the idea on hold really. But then this opportunity came up again. And, and not only that, it was quite fortuitous because the speech and language therapist rang the PSPA to get some more information about um, the various services that were available and we also mentioned about the grant and yes. she found out that the speak unique program that that is offered by the PSPA she had a look at it and she said I actually think it's better than what we'd been using she said it's a, it seems to have lots of features um, that make it a really good program to use um, so what she did and she was she was fabulous she said right let me just have the form she said just email it to me I'll fill it all out on your behalf um, she really went the extra mile. I was I was so impressed, oh. and um, so she filled it out. And we requested um, a, a headset and microphone. Actually, while yes. I'm speaking on now, it's <laughs> so very good quality. We can hear you beautifully. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so you can test it out and say yeah. that it's really good. And uh, and basically, uh, so that was funded. We filled in the application, and very soon after that, I, I ordered it um, online, and then within a matter of 10 days or so, um, the money that I spent was reimbursed. And then what happens with Speak Unique, because it's PSP support, PSPA supported, um, when we come, when we've done the banking and we want to access Laurie's voice, as I understand it, that is provided as a service for people who, who are living with progressive supranuclear palsy or CBD, yes. that, is, that is provided. So it's wonderful. I can't, I can't say how much that means to us wow. because it gives us the reassurance to know that at some time in the future, when Laurie perhaps can't clearly express himself and still wants to be part of the world, 
he'll be able to communicate with his voice. I think um, that's the, the splendid thing about it, isn't it? That it's not some automated voice, it's the person's actual voice. And yes. doing it soon is a good idea because then you get the quality of voice to use, don't you, on the yes. equipment? Yeah. And also just doing the recording, although it is, yes, it's work, but it's, it, it provides a form of speech and language therapy in itself. That's so you get two, yeah. two birds with yeah. one stone, as it were. <laughs> so how do you think that will have, um, you know, what impact will that have on your lives going forward, say with family or socially, or how will it change well, things? I mean, it's, it's, it's a, if I'm perfectly honest, I don't know how it will be. Uh, it's a bit of an adventure. It's a bit of, it's just something I didn't know that was available as mm -hmm. a service that people would do this. Um, but it just offers up the opportunity to, well, perhaps for me, as much as Laurie, to have that aspect of Laurie still very present in our lives. Mm. And it will be, it will enable Laurie, as, as I understand it, when he accesses his voice, um, to express himself and, and hear himself rather than something automated. I think Laurie will need a little bit of repair to his voice, um, yeah. but that's that's fine. And I must admit, we had a bit of a joke about the or a laugh about the um, when you choose an accent. Um, and actually, Speak Unique is very good because there's a wider range of accents available. And my husband's right. moved away from his his home area where there's a very distinctive accent. And uh, we were laughing. I said, do you, do you want to go back to your original accent, you know, in all its glory? Or do we want to perhaps stick with where we actually live now? Because it's it's kind of just changed slightly. So yeah. that, was, that was quite amusing. So there was a bit of fun in it as well as a bit of work. Oh, yeah. 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 That sounds good. Yeah. Julia, you've, you've given us lots of um, hints and tips as we've gone along and, and you, the description of your process of coordinating care for Laurie and, and the things that you're doing. Um, I just wonder, if, is there anything else that you've picked up that you think other carers in your sort of situation would find helpful, invaluable, or that things that you find uh, unexpected helps or yeah. anything extra, really? Yeah. I think you, as I said before, you've got to put yourself on a par with your loved one. Um, obviously, yeah. my relationship with my husband is is very close. It's different if your, you know, your parent has PSP. Um, but self care is an absolute priority, and nobody should feel ashamed or selfish to prioritize their own mm -hmm. health as much as their loved ones. Um, you do need to kind of grow quite a quick thick skin as it were because you're going to be having to ask for support because PSP association is fabulous when you ring the PSP association up there's somebody there who absolutely understands it and gets it but you're going to have you're going to need a lot more support than that as well in everyday life um, so you have to be prepared to reach out um, yes. and spread your net as far and wide as you can because there's organizations out there that you perhaps don't immediately connect with with support for PSPA so for example we've been in touch with um, rare dementia support which is um, part of the 
set up down in London and that's accessible to anybody. It's not just people going to the hospital. Um, I've also found that Dementia Carers Count have been very helpful with their educational programs. It's, it's perhaps not tailored to PSP or CBD, but it does give you some insight because there are things in common. Mm. Um, I was told very early on or suggested to me very early on from a lady, our, our local coordinator for the PSP Association um, in our area, um, to get in touch with the local hospice. And at first I thought, oh, gosh, you know, that's a bit, that sounds a bit bit much really but actually I've discovered that hospices are really about living well with a condition yes. and they've been a tremendous support um, I found that if you're looking for any help with getting access to certain benefits um, and people shouldn't shouldn't shy from claiming benefits because it will help to enhance your life life is difficult enough yes. and if there is financial support available you should get it um, so Age UK have been very helpful citizens advice um, I always find Carers UK are very useful. They've got all sorts of campaigns if you want to get involved. The Carers Trust is, we have a sort of branch of the Carers Trust locally who are very, very helpful. So I've picked up sort of generic carers stuff, but I found out, for example, about um, being able to get discount on council tax, um, about joining what they call an access list. So any arts um, centers and theaters and cinemas, you can get on an access list and it means that the carer um, is able to go for free when they accompany their loved oh, one. Yeah. And sometimes you can get um, a very accessible um, and, and a good view from wherever you are. So it's really worth, if you like that sort of thing, it's really worth getting on an access list. And don't, don't, don't feel guilty about that. It's, it's there and it's there for a reason to, to enable people to live a full life. There can be local charities that um, provide some, some useful specialist support. We have a neurotherapy centre in our area. So that, that, we, that overlaps with, with Laurie's condition, with Parkinson's, people, you know, with all those kinds of conditions. Um, people should, if their loved one is eligible to receive personal independence payment or attendance allowance, if they're eligible, they should apply for carer's allowance um, because that will all help. It's helpful to get a blue badge. Now that took a little bit of effort, but eventually after the third attempt, I did manage to get a blue badge because it's not just if you are um, physically disabled. Also, if you need help getting around because you might be overwhelmed or you might lose your way or you're liable to have a fall, a blue badge is very relevant and we find it incredibly helpful. Yes. Um, we also got in touch with our local council and for free and everybody's entitled to a certain level of free adaptation to your home. So we've had grab rails put in, we've had an extra rail put on our stairs, we've had um, help with the bathroom but more to do with grab rails and seating. They were very very helpful and supportive. Um, I think it's important to try and um, as people say, find your tribe. So get involved with a group of like-minded people. So the obvious choice is to, to get in touch with the PSPA. And if you can attend meetings, hopefully soon in person, Zoom has been a fantastic boon actually, just for yes, reaching out and meeting people. I've, I've been able to tap into all kinds of groups and get a lot of sort of support. It's, yeah, it's great. And even just being able to tell your story a bit or just listen to other people and just know that you are not alone. And I think yes. that's really the, the 
most important message that I would like to share with anybody who's listening in, that you are not alone. You do not need to be alone. This is difficult. This is challenging. But there are people to help you um, and navigate this system. Um, and as I say, it, it, I mean, it's taken me a little while. Um, and sometimes it, it can be a bit frustrating, but don't give up. Yeah. You need to just, just say what you need. Um, we got knocked back a few times with claiming personal independence payment, but just keep going. Just state your case, get people on board who can give you um, an assessment of the situation to give you some kind of um, backup so that you know you can explain PSP or CBD because it is rare. I think it's is it one in sorry four thousand people in the UK and they reckon that there are double that now. Yeah, double yeah. that. But it is it is still counted as a rare disease. Yes. Yes, and um, also uh, actually very relevant during um, the Corona time is uh, we applied for a sunflower lanyard. You mm. may have seen them, these yellow and green lanyards. Yes. Um, and it explains that um, you don't need to have a face covering. And also the PSP Association gave us the cards which explained the main symptoms with PSP. So that's, we tuck that inside the lanyard. So we don't have to keep explaining if anybody needed to ask. That's very helpful. Um, we've got all the um, boring legal stuff done. So we had, um, uh, a, gosh, I've forgotten the term, the- uh, Power of attorney <laughs> maybe? That's the word, the power yes. of attorney. Um, if people feel it's appropriate, you can also make an advanced decision. We've got our wills organised. We've got an emergency plan sorted out in case there was a hospital admission, particularly during COVID, because yes. I've, you know that the rare dementia support were very helpful with that. Actually, um, if you can, do what you can to get yourself the best clinical care mm. and get to get your diagnosis and just just be prepared, perhaps, to go for a second opinion um, because. It's difficult to hear this diagnosis, obviously, but once you've got the diagnosis, it, it opens up the door to yes. getting you the support you need. And that's why it's so important to get a diagnosis. Yes. Because without because you imagine Laurie's living with this condition and if we hadn't gone for a second opinion, we hadn't just, just kept going, he might still be classed as mild cognitive impairment. And that would not have helped us. It would not have helped him. And it has opened up all, all the possibilities so that we can make the best of life. Um, and just to say, to get the best of life through um, lockdown and through um, Rare Dementia Support and their Creativity Club, Laurie discovered, and I just didn't realize, he's a very talented artist. And this wow. has been hidden for years. And although he has difficulty writing, and I think it's it's holding a pen or pencil, and it's the fine motor skills. Yes. But when he can be a bit more expansive with his with his pen and pencil and paintbrush, it's amazing what he's done. I mean, I'm it brings a lump to my throat actually. And he's going to have his work uploaded on a virtual gallery, um, and that's just tremendous. And of course, we wouldn't have wanted to find this out, wouldn't wanted to have a diagnosis of PSB so he could find out he had a talent. But it was um, a bonus that we had that we just didn't know. Um, tremendous. So the message really is never give up, never give up on your life. Um, live a life in a way that's meaningful to you. 
given that this diagnosis is a really difficult, life-changing diagnosis. And for those who are supporting or caring for a loved one, never lose sight of your own needs and what brings meaning and joy to your life. Um, you know, what more can any of us do? And we just take each day. We think a little yeah. bit into the future. And we, yeah, we, we take joy from each day wherever we can. Thank you, Julia. It's, it's been really great hearing about your experience of caring for Laurie during the pandemic and either side of it as well. I'm sure there's a number of other carers who've had similar experiences. It's also great to hear how the voice banking funding and the support grants are helping you um, together. And if anyone listening would like to find out more about the PSPA voice banking funding or the support grants, please contact us on the helpline on 0300 122 or by emailing us at helpline at pspassociation.org.uk. You can also download the guidance notes and application form directly from the website at pspassociation.org.uk. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast and we invite you to join us next time when we will be discussing the difficulties around misdiagnosis. Thanks, Liz. Thank you, Julia. I thank, thank you for opening up so much of your life to us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Yeah. I just want to hope that people just aren't completely devastated by this and that they can get the support they need mm. and have their life, live their life. Mm.